This is the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Cary, deep in the forests of Nutmegerville. This show is dedicated to exploring pathways to better health from a holistic perspective. In each episode, we will explore such topics as nutrition, mental and emotional health, fitness, and more. I'm Yogi, your host, and I became interested in studying health after conventional health dogma became damaging and led me to become massively overweight. Against modern convention, I went on a keto lifestyle and I lost over 300 pounds and gained a level of control on my personal health that I never had before. Now I'm on a journey to find out what is myth and what is truth in the ever convoluted world of what is considered healthy. Come join me on a journey of discovery as I look for a path to improve total health. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the fatty Joe show or patreon.com slash Carrie Brown. If you want to check out all of our social media links and recipes, head to carriebrown.com. Don't forget to leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the show. Hey, everybody, this is Yogi, and welcome to the Fatty Joe Show. We are doing our series on early influencers, people that inspired Carrie and I to change our health and lifestyle for the better. And we have already interviewed Michael Rutherford, as you know, and Danny Vega. And today I'm actually getting to the opportunity to interview Jimmy Moore, who is the first keto book I ever read. And the first time I ever heard of Jimmy Moore, he was actually on the Kevin Rutherford's show, Let's Truck, and guest hosted a few times. And then I fell into the Jimmy hole, Jimmy uh, uh, rabbit hole of all the other podcasts and everything that went down. And that's how I got a lot of my early information. Since then, I've read uh, three of Jimmy's books, or four actually, with the um, Cholesterol Clarity, the um, the Keto, keto Clarity, and um, the Real Food Keto, and what was the other one? Oh, and Fat... Uh, the complete guide to fasting where he wrote with uh, with dr jason funk if you're starting out on a healthy lifestyle in a keto world this is the guy to go to because he explains everything in such a way that makes it really easy to understand so if you don't have a background in science and don't understand how the ketones work the krebs cycles and all that you don't need to he'll get you going and since doing his podcast, the Living La Vida Low Carb, as well as a ton of others. He started the Jimmy Reds uh, daily uh, podcast and blog where he tackles a number of subjects, not just nutrition. So I'd like to welcome Jimmy Moore to the show. Hey, what's hey, up? Yeah. How you doing, boss? I'm good, man. Like I, I have seen you out there doing your thing. Man, you are such an inspiration we are very fortunate to have you in the keto space and out there doing your thing and i'm really happy to see that you've decided to lend your voice to this podcasting world so from one podcaster to another welcome thank you sir yeah it's a 
you know, this is the Carrie Brown production. Carrie's, Carrie's predominantly the behind the scenes force in all this. And uh, it's been great to be under her wing to get all these things launched and her guiding me on what to do. And now I get to talk to one of the podcast legends. Can I gush her for a moment? I love Carrie Brown. I think, and I've known her for a very long time. When we see each other at conferences, it's a big hug fest because we just have such mutual admiration. So Carrie, we do love you. Uh, I've always admired what she's done and I'm really happy that you've collaborated with her to make this happen. Yeah, it's it's been an amazing journey, that's for sure. She is definitely an awesome person. So I want to get started in the podcast, and this early influencer series is mainly to inspire people to make the changes that they need to do to, to get onto a healthy lifestyle, whatever that might be. We're, we're not just focused on nutrition here, but sometimes your negative health can can fall into other categories as well. But I want to talk to you about where you started and how, and I'm sure that's a story you've told many times, but I, I, I want to just kind of briefly touch base on that because I want to use that as the jump point for yeah. helping others. Well, and, and for me, I, yes, I have told this story thousands of times before, not just on my own show, but other people's podcasts just like this, but I never want to forget from whence I came, because the moment you forget from whence you came, you can go right back there again. So I don't mind repeating the story again. Uh, it was 2003. I was the typical American eater. I was eating crap, what I now refer to as crappy garbage and food like disease agents, all that processed manufactured food, uh, to the point that I was drinking, no lie, 16 cans of Coca-Cola a day. Let that sink in a little bit. Yeah. That used to gas when I do public lectures and I tell my story. Oh, yeah, I had 16 cans of Coca-Cola a day. <gasps> you can just hear the collective gap of the audience. It's, it's pretty cool to hear because um, it, it was a oh, my God moment. And whole boxes of Little Debbie snack cakes and fast food. Like you don't become 400 plus pounds for no good reason. Uh, and for me, uh, it was junk food. I was a junk food junkie. Uh, to the point that I got to 410 pounds. But here's the funny part, and you'll relate to this. As you get bigger and bigger, you kind of go into this little mindset in your head that you're not as big as you actually are. And so for the longest time, when I was 410, I thought I was around like 325, 330, which it still isn't good, but it's not as bad. It wasn't until I got a diet book for Christmas that year in 2003 and it just so happened to change my life forever. It was Dr. Atkins's new diet revolution, kind of put the low carb diet on my radar screen for the first time. And I had heard about low carb. I'd heard about the heart attack inducing Atkins diet. Uh, and I, I remember it was just like five years prior, I was on an ultra low fat diet, lost a lot of weight. And people are like, oh, you must have lost weight on that newfangled Atkins diet. And I said, no lie. I will never go on that diet in my, what was the phrase, famous last words? So, <laughs> but then I started researching it when I read the book. I'm like, okay, this guy's like literally saying the opposite of everything I've heard is true about healthy nutrition. Uh, but I was like, what do I have to lose? I'm, and when I stepped on that scale and saw four, I went, oh, crap. Like it got out of control. And that woke me up to take this seriously. So. January 1st, 2004, went on the Atkins diet, very quickly lost 30 pounds the first month, 
40 pounds, another 40 pounds by the end of the second month, by the end of 100 days, 100 pounds, I'm going, hmm, something about this diet is working. And meanwhile, unlike any other diet I'd ever been on, I wasn't hungry. I had a few cravings here and there, but that quickly dissipated. Um, and I just found, wow, like, I think I can do this. Like, this is really easier than I ever imagined a diet could be. And the biggest part was I wasn't hankering to get done with this diet so I could get back to my old way of eating. This is such a notion that seems so ludicrous when you think about it logically. Why would you go back to the way that got you obese? Why would you do that? Like you find a new eat, it should be pleasurable enough that you want to keep doing it. So uh, 15 plus years later, I'm still doing it. I did end up losing 180 pounds that year. Uh, and obviously there's lots of things that impact your weight. Um, and, and we can definitely talk about those things if you want to. But it was an impactful thing that let me start the Live in La Vida Low Carb brand in 2005 as first as a blog. And then one year later as a podcaster. And I've been doing that ever since. That's awesome. Yeah. And you you definitely hit a hail, uh, nail on the head when it comes to a number of factors uh, that cause weight gain and prevent uh, fat loss. Uh, being in the, the, the youth that I was, I was very athletic. I was constantly working out. I was eating what I thought was a healthy diet because that's what was taught to me by everybody. Eat low carb, uh, get enough protein in. I played football. I did pro wrestling. I surfed. I backpacked all the time, still struggled with my weight. And when I graduated, uh, 12th grade, I was over 600 pounds. and I'm a tall guy, so I, I carried it in an, in a way that you know isn't typical. How tall? But I'm about six six. Oh, okay, I'm six three, so tall guy. Yeah, club. there we go. But um, it definitely had an impact on my energy levels, my endurance, my joints. I I, I definitely couldn't last. I mean, it worked great for me in powerlifting. <laughs> you know, that extra leverage of the body weight to get the weights up there was fantastic, but it wasn't great for me. And since then, there was times where I went up in weight, went down in weight, and I've always struggled on that yo-yo cycle. And it things would get very discouraging. But as I learned, it wasn't just about what I ate, which was a huge key, but other factors come into play too, like your sleep. Uh, the toxic exposure, the nutrient density of the food that you eat, your stress levels, uh, all kinds of things. Let, let's talk about how some of those things, because I, I know that you have been tied to the Weston A. Price Foundation, and you are really focused on whole real foods. So let's talk a little bit about other factors that come into play, food-based and non-food-based, that make you retain weight. Can I tell you that I love the non-food-based ones because I have a feeling that people are a little bit overloaded with the diet info. And that sounds weird coming from the, the guy that wrote Keto Clarity. So yeah. <laughs> I'm able to not be so obsessive about the diet to the detriment of looking at all these other things. Like I wear this ring. I, they're not sponsored or anything. It's called an Aura Ring. And it tracks my sleep. And I see the sleep quality, the REM, the deep, and, and everything else. Because I want to know that I'm optimizing that aspect of my health. And there's been many studies that have come out that say just one night, one night of messed up sleep 
can actually make your body metabolically insulin resistant. So people think, oh, I had a bad night's sleep. Wow, why am I so hungry the next day? Wow, why am I kind of irritable? That's blood sugar that has changed. And so people don't really pay mind to those kinds of things. Uh, and sleep is a huge one, which is why I prioritize it. And it's it's taken years to kind of get it mastered. And I still have my moments. COVID-19 has definitely not helped with all the stress with this. But uh, And then stress. I mean, stress is one of those things that, yeah, you're stressed. Okay, whatever. No, it's not a whatever. People don't realize just how profound worrying about everything really is. It's why in my work, I get a lot of haters. I try to like let things kind of go and slide because there's just too much bad that can happen in the body of someone like myself if I allow myself to, you know, foster on that and think about it way too much. And so, but even the stress of the day to day, when everybody went into quarantine, had to be with their families and those little munchkins were around and you had no escape to go to work and you had no civic activities or was no professional sports to go, nothing. So you were just around them 24 seven. I mean, like stress is kind of real for most people right now. And then you add on top of it, some of the mental challenges that they can add some more stress. Um, these are things I'm not hearing a lot of people talk about that I think are so paramount. And I know Carrie has made it a, a huge mission of her work to really focus on the mental health aspect of things uh, because of her history. Um, those are just two things. I would say toxicity from like heavy metals, for example. I used to use underarm deodorant, like uh, what was, oh, it was the old spice and it had aluminum in it. And I didn't know aluminum was gonna somehow get absorbed through the underarm, but it did. You've got to realize this is the largest organ in your whole body. So anything you're putting on your skin anywhere from the shaving cream to the to hair products, to things in, as innocuous seemingly as deodorant to keep you from stinking and sweating. Uh, I got toxicity of aluminum and had I caught it, it might have turned into autoimmune disease. And so thankfully that was like eight years ago when I was in the paleo world, that's when I met Carrie. Um, and I was able to switch over to more natural ones. And now I use like coconut oil based ones and they're wonderful and just as effective. And yet how many people they go down to the store, oh, okay, right guard, oh, okay, secret. And they're not even thinking about those ingredients. So that's another element that could be inhibiting your ability, not just for weight loss. Like I, I know we like to obsess about weight and things that can struggle with weight. To me, I'm more about metabolism. What is impacting your level of insulin resistance? Because you get to the heart of insulin resistance, then weight will you know, resolve itself. I think we put the cart before the horse thing and it's all about the weight. And yes, for people like you and me, 600 plus for you, 400 plus pounds for me. Yes, obviously that was a real and present danger, but what we didn't heal our weight problem. We healed our insulin resistance problem is what we did once we started implementing these things to help to calm that down. Yeah, and, and to, to touch on the stress and toxicity levels, I, I was recently a truck driver and just a few months ago, got off the truck and joined forces with Carrie, and I had plateaued around 340, 350 pounds before I got off the truck. And truck drivers' sleep sucks. We we don't have a scheduled sleep. We're constantly around toxic materials, materials, diesel fumes, things like that. You'll be parked next to somebody that's 
got their uh, their alternator running for power at night and it's blowing fuel fumes through your window. There's, uh, you know, so many things. The, 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 the food obviously is, is not great. Most of the food selections, that's why I cooked a lot on my truck. But when I got off the truck here, uh, I was probably about 360. I had gone up a little bit over the winter and ended up now down. I stepped on the scale uh, today and I'm 304. And I'm plateauing around that area right now, but I think that's probably because I have a lot of toxic material inside my fat cells that I had dropped, you know, 18, 19 pounds, and then all of a sudden plateaued. And that's common for me. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is, is people, you did touch on it a bit, people really get focused on that scale. And in a lot of times they get very discouraged because they might see a pound or two gain or, or they don't lose the fat or the weight, they focus on the weight and not the fat too. That's the other problem. Yeah. But they, 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 they just get into this um, tunnel vision about the numbers on the scale. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about how to get around that and, and other things to focus on so that, that, that scale doesn't derail you? I want to touch on something real quick. I definitely, I, that's a great question that you just asked. I want to touch on a little bit uh, about why some people who start eating a healthy diet, they start to feel bad and then they blame the diet. Mm -hmm. Guys, that feeling bad is those toxins being released. Like you've got to realize if you have years, maybe decades worth of stored body fat, especially in the midsection of your belly, that is where the toxins are. Like it's not there to be grotesque on your body. That body fat is there to literally save you from things that could kill you. And so people forget about that, Yogi. They don't realize, oh my gosh, that's what the purpose of it is. That Therefore, it's binding up those toxins, packing them away, protecting the rest of your body from the inflammation and all the other things that it would do, the cascade of problems that would uh, cause issues. Um, and so when you start losing weight, obviously you're going to release those fat stores. You might temporarily feel bad, but don't blame that on the diet or whatever thing you're doing. Celebrate that. Like even I'm a, a proponent of fasting, as you mentioned earlier, I wrote a book about it. Um, and in that book, we talk about, what's that? One and two. Um, you know, pe people say, well, uh, I go on a fast and I feel horrible. I'm like, celebrate. Like, obviously, don't celebrate if you feel like crap and you're hungry and you need to eat. Please eat. But if you're doing it and all you do is kind of feel this blah and you see a blood sugar maybe rise on the blood sugar meter and you're not eating any food, that's your body releasing like little pockets of sugar and things. And it's just a temporary thing to wash it out of your system. And then it's gone for good. Like, that's the thing. We want to tap into that stored body fat, get all that mess out of there so true inner healing can take place. And that segues into what your question was, why shouldn't you like pay attention to the scale? Well, you shouldn't pay attention to it because it's incomplete. It's kind of like knowing your total cholesterol. It doesn't really tell you anything. It's a nice number and doctors like to focus on it, but it doesn't really tell you anything until you get the context of the breakdown of what that total cholesterol means. And same with your weight. It doesn't mean anything until you know the context of what's your lean body mass, what's your uh, body fat percentage, 
What's your bone density? These, these things are all important and you can get a DEXA scan, DXA scan to see what those things are. There's other ways to measure it as well, but that seems to be uh, the gold standard that people, have you ever had a DEXA scan? No, I have not. I, I rarely go to the doctor. I am kind of anti-doctor. <laughs> so I do. Yeah. So I, I, I'm bad with tracking things. I, I really kind of eat intuitively and um, I just kind of go with how I feel and that's what I consume. So to your question about how do you, or what should you do instead if you don't weigh yourself? Obviously, do a daily check-in. How do I feel? Am I energetic? Am I tired? Okay, that's interesting. Uh, do I feel like I could have slept longer or not? Like kind of have this mental checklist of things. Okay. Um, do I feel like I'm really, really hungry and craving things? That's another sign that things are kind of awry or you're doing good if you're not. Um, I think subjective things are, are devalued and subjective things can tell the story. And it's not gonna be seen in some randomized control clinical trial. Those are great and everything. The best randomized control clinical trial is in one. What's happening in you? And if you're not paying attention to things and I'm just the opposite of you, Yogi. I test everything. I have a, I have a Ura ring. I test blood sugar with a little CGM. I got a little breath ketone device I blow into. I mean, I'm just a nerd like those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. But you don't have to be that anal retentive about it. But do have check-ins from time to time on various biomarkers. The thing that gets me the most is those people that say, "Well, I never run anything because I don't want to know what's going on." I'm like, we have the technology and it's affordable, why wouldn't you want to? Yeah, I, I should say, I, it's not that I don't track. I don't track s certain things like numbers. I've done it before. It's just that I have a hard time keeping on it for a long time. Right. But I do track how I feel. And I've, I've done the journals. I've done, uh, I've done even with the, the voice recorder. I, hey, I just ate this, and now I feel this way. The other thing is I track what I'm craving. And I, if I notice that I'm craving protein, I eat protein. But if I notice that I'm craving sweets, I start thinking about why I might be craving sweets and, or, or, or some sort of junk food. And oftentimes it's because something's stressing me out. And if, if, I'm not, uh, if I don't deal with that stress, then, then that cravings are going to continue. Can I address the cravings thing? Because this is something that confuses people and they'll use the excuse, well, I'm craving a Snicker bar. So that means I should get a Snicker bar. I'm like, okay, let's stop and think about this logically just for a moment. You're having a craving because your body is deficient in some nutrients. Sometimes that nutrient is protein, as you mentioned. Other times it's vitamins and minerals. And there are certain vitamins and minerals that your body knows that it can get from certain foods, especially if you've been a junk food junkie in your past. And so it remembers, oh, when I got Snicker bar, for example, I got this, this, and this, and this from it. And so therefore go eat Snicker bars in, you know, entrained in our brain. But what other foods could you possibly consume that would give you those same nutrients without the sugar bomb? And so that's when I try to like reframe it for people. Okay, when you get a sugar craving, do the exact opposite of that. Why not have a little bit of fat and protein, stick it in your pie hole. So you could do like a little thing of cheese if you're not dairy intolerant, put some butter on top, stick it in the mouth and watch what happens to that 
sugar craving. It almost invariably disappears. And look at all those sugary carbs that you avoided putting in your mouth, which would have caused even more hunger, even more cravings, even more inflammation, blood sugar, insulin, you get the picture. Um, and I think sometimes our brains fool us because especially when we've had a crappy garbage past, it's going to tell you, oh, I remember how you felt when you ate that crappy garbage in the moment. It doesn't remember the long-term effects, but in the moment, it remembers that. It's like, Was give this, me It's also that endorphin effect. If you're stressed out and, and it releases that endorphin and it's like, a, it's, it is a drug. It is, I mean, sugar should be classified. It, 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 it is, falls into all the categories as a class one uh, controlled substance. It has no nutritive value, no health value, and it has these chemical effects on your body. And there's other things they put in class, of, class one that don't fall into that category, but yet sugar, because of, you know, Ansel Keys and lobbyists and things like that, it has kind of fallen out there. But that, I think the other thing too, is you touched on is the stress, that endorphin, that temporary relief, just like any other drug plays a huge role in it. Well, and look what happened during COVID-19. What was the thing that people went to to mm -hmm. medicate themselves with? Some people took antidepressant drugs and some people turned to alcohol. But the number one thing people used was crap, like mm -hmm. junk food, crap, like crap, uh, you know, very readily available snack food type of items that were sugary, grainy, carby. Uh, those got gobbled up pretty fast because people are like, oh, when I feel bad, this makes me feel better. And yet nobody asks, why do I feel better when I have that? What is it that's in here not looking at the addictive property of the sugar? Yeah, it's, it's, it, sugar has, is a very, you know, the, the pure, especially the purified distilled form. I often heard people through my entire life, everything's okay in moderation. But can you really have something in moderation that has been purified and concentrated to such a point that even a small amount can create negative effects in your body? Is that really moderate? Or, you know, as compared to eating a piece of natural fruit with the fiber and everything that mitigates some of the, the response of the natural sugars that are there? So to the moderation uh, crowd, the eat everything in balance crowd, I always say, if it's not health promoting it's health robbing you got a few health neutral kind of foods out there but sugar would most certainly be considered health robbing and i want to add in i, I health robbed most of my life so i'm ready to help promote the rest of my life yeah i, I i'm currently reading uh rereading the nutrition and physical degeneration by uh weston a price and one of the things that really sticks out to me that in all his travels, there were several people, and this is, he wrote this book, for those of you who don't know, in the 1930s. And he was a dentist and he was studying uh, dental health and trying to figure out why so many Americans had problems with their teeth, uh, the malformation of the jaw, the dental caries, the cavities. And um, the fact that we can't get our wisdom teeth in properly, but yet all these tribal people had healthy teeth, hardly any dental caries. They're, they had no problems cutting their teeth or getting wisdom teeth in. And what he noticed with a lot of the tribal people that, that sticks out to me is that within the first generation of going to a standard American diet in the 1930s, their face structure started to change. 
and, and, and their nasal pathways got more narrow, they became more susceptible to the symptoms of tuberculosis. But even their, their shape of their face, their jaw and their head changed. And they, the first generation that had grown up on an American diet had crooked teeth, had the wisdom teeth, uh, uh, not enough space in their jaw for the wisdom teeth. And, and one generation, this, that diet took effect. And now from the 1930s, that diet's even worse. So if, yeah. I was just gonna say, and, and it's gotten worse. And, and see, here's the thing, it took one generation to degradate. I don't think we can fix this in one generation. If everybody started eating real whole food, I don't know, do you think it would regenerate and be okay in a, in a generation from now if we changed everything back to more of a natural, real food-based approach? I think it would take a, uh, a massive effect because we, we're seeing, Often keto is, is, is treated as almost a, a panacea for all kinds of ailments. And I, I don't believe keto is a panacea. I, I, I believe that everybody has their own nutritional approach that they need to go to. So I'm not a dogmatic person. I, I believe in bio-individuality. Yeah. But I think the reason why keto works for so many people, and it's not just the nutrition that you're bringing in, because we see people doing dirty keto and not focused on nutrition, just macros only, and they're still having amazing health effects. But it's what you're excluding from your diet, I think plays a huge role. And that's why you see so many vegans and vegetarians also getting health effects uh, in a positive direction, especially when they first start. We have a commonality amongst many diet plans of not so much as what we're eating, but what we're excluding. Yeah, and that's gotten lost in the diet wars. And of course, I've been out here for over 15 years and I've observed the whole vegan versus low carb versus meat eaters versus, you know, Mediterranean versus, and I'm just like, people, what do we agree on? We agree junk food sucks. So why don't we like rally behind telling people, okay, we have various options you can choose from, but get the junk food out of your diet. And we're seeing moves now uh, in the UK, the prime minister there, uh, Boris, what's his last name? Something uh, is Johnson. now, what is it? Johnson. Yes, thank you. Boris Johnson uh, is pushing now for tougher restrictions on junk food, limiting the way that it can be marketed, especially to kids. Like those are the kinds of things we need to be hearing from on high. Um, and meanwhile, here in America, we're pushing out dietary guidelines to tell people, oh, eat less fat, eat more grains, and, and eat less meat. And it's just like maddening how we could be so bass backwards uh, and not get our, our head straight. Well, even in South America, where they are actually penalizing uh, through taxes and fines, companies like Coca-Cola and Nestle, uh, because they are seeing the increased rates of, of healthcare costs. Right. And when they, when they eliminate the sugar from them and make it harder to get for people and, and the simple carbohydrates and they increase the nutrient levels, they're seeing their GDP go up because people are not um, as reliant on the sick care industry and they're, because they're staying healthy. 
Well, and look at what we have uh, as far as influential people behind the scenes that keeps this mirage of health going vis-a-vis -vis dietary guidelines, vis-a-vis -vis education on diet. You've got the Dietetics Association, which has a major sponsor of Coca-Cola. You've got half, over half of the people that were on the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee for the 2020 Dietary Guidelines coming out this year. Most people don't realize this. Over half of them have ties to a medical organization that was started by Coca-Cola as the major funder in, mirac uh, miraculously, 1980, which was the very first year they started Dietary Guidelines. From the very beginning, they've had their heavy hand on this. This is why it seems like they never change anything. They have a very huge sponsor behind them saying, uh-uh, we want to keep the status quo so we can keep rolling in the dough. Right. Um, but at some point, we have to break free. And, and I'm not even touching on the pharmaceutical industry yet. That's just the food industry I'm referring to now. There's so many like dirty ties to industry that's keeping us in the past. This is why I tell people as individuals, take back control of your own health and stop being influenced by uh, officials. Even doctors are influenced by those things. Um, U.S. dietary guidelines influenced by those things. Dietitians heavily influenced by those things. These are all the supposed leaders telling us how we're supposed to be feeding ourselves and they have utterly failed us. And, but look also the doctors and the dietitians that buck the, the convention yeah. of the lobbyists and things and what happens to them. Right. With in the lawsuits and yeah. In Australia, they actually blacklisted and stripped the license from one very prominent low carb, high fat, uh, Jennifer, um, what was her last name? Anyway, Jennifer in Australia, uh, an RD, they stripped her because the Dietetics Association there, as bad as we think it is here in America, it's really bad in Australia. Probably Australia has the worst Dietetics Association, followed very closely by Canada. Um, and yeah, they're stripping them of their licenses because they dared to tell their clients to eat less carbs and eat more fat and eat real food. The real food one is the funniest one to me. How can any RD be opposed to real whole foods. Well, oh, that's the wrong real whole food. You can't tell people to eat meat because we know that has saturated fat and blah, 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 and all the talking points, but it's real food. And yet they want to push these plant-based burgers, which have 29 ingredients in them. And most of them are a chemical, chemical crap storm. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the GMO and everything. Now, yeah. we, uh, I want to touch base on something that we've kind of talked about the beginning and, and how to formulate the diet, get the, the cravings and such. But I want to talk real quickly about dogma. We, we tend to fall into these categories and we kind of touched on it a little bit, but we tend to kind of fall into these guidelines as if they are absolute rules. And we may not see the results that somebody else does because we're following these absolute rules and, and not changing anything. And we see this across the dietary world, whether it's veganism, vegetarian, uh, starting to be very heavily in keto and carnivore. This is the only way you can eat to be healthy. But what we see often is people get really good results at the beginning, but then they stall out or have the opposite effect because they don't change as their bodies adapt to need because they're so focused on those dogmatic rules that they started with. So. 
let's talk a little bit about as you're progressing into your, your health plan about how to address when something's not working for you and how to explore different options that work for you and straying away from those dogmatic approaches that, that really kind of lock people into a black hole. Yeah, I think do uh, dietary dogma is the cancer of the nutritional health space because people like to take size. They like to fall into camps. Uh, and quite frankly, when I first started, I fell into the low carb camp. And ever since then, I've been thrown into, oh, you're the low carb guy. You're the keto guy. Even when I was in, active in the paleo space, I was the token low carb guy that ate paleo on the lower carb end of things. And it was always that label that followed around. And I, I was kind of like, okay, well, why can't I just be a part of the discussion? Why does it have to be, yes, I promote and advocate for low-carb diets, but I'm not telling everybody they need to eat a low-carb diet. It's just for those people who do feel like they want to try that, here's information. It's the only reason I wrote Keto Clarity, to give people the information. I have even changed some things since I uh, wrote Keto Clarity for me personally, when I first started that uh, keto plan, it was more of low carb, moderate the protein down, uh, and then higher fat. I have since, as I've gotten older, as I've gotten stronger and desiring to be even stronger, as I've desired to try to lose more body fat, I have now increased the protein a little more than I used to eat, while, of course, titrating down slightly on the fat. Now, it's still low carb, moderate protein high fat, but it's the percentages that have changed for me. And that's what I tell people all the time. Don't mimic. That's why the, if it fits your macros and macronutrient ratios is so stupid. It's like, why do you pigeonhole yourself into some arbitrary numbers that you've just made up on paper? Why don't you listen to your body, eat real food, let the macros work themselves out. And if it means you need a little more protein on a certain day, then eat more protein. If it means you want to add a sweet potato in every once in a while, cycle in and out of ketosis, do that. Like, I think we've become so all or nothingness that you have to be this perfect way of being keto or no way. Trust me, I would rather have a half-assed keto than no keto. Yeah, and you regularly explore, I've, I've been following you for a long time, and you regularly explore different nutritive uh, outlets and fitness outlets. I, I remember you you know, being on the video, flipping the tires and, and the whole bit. So, you know, you've really kind of been in this realm of exploring. You've been carnivore, you've been fasting. And I remember when you ate a watermelon from your yard and people lost their damn minds. They sure and, did. And the funny thing is a watermelon has, is pretty nominal in sugar. It, it's, it's fairly low, but people fall into this notion that keto is a diet and not a metabolic state. Thank and you. and, and they focus in on these foods that they label as keto or non-keto, and really it's a metabolic state. You can eat what you can eat if you want to maintain keto. If you're real active, you may be able to take in a, a higher amount of sugar. It may help break your stall if you restore some glycogen stores and let your body relax for a moment and then go back to keto and for some people that works so let's talk about a little bit of, about some different approaches and different things you can do to stay in a metabolic ketogenic state that doesn't fit with the keto diet 
Well, and, and even let's go outside the realm of diet itself. Let's go back to other things that modulate blood sugar and thus would have a positive effect on ketones. Obviously the movement, when I flip that tire and I'm done flipping that tire, it's a great workout, by the way, it's 200 pounds and I flip it 10 times going down, 10 times coming back. And of course I'm doing that about 10, eight to 10 reps. I am tired. I'm sweating. Everybody could see it on video when I put to those videos. I, if I went in and tested my blood sugar and ketones, blood sugar would be high. Ketones would be very low. Oh my God, that sucked. Uh-uh, you missed it. If you wait two hours, let all that stuff calm down in your body, the glycogen stores getting back into the muscles again, your blood sugar comes down, your ketones actually get a boost. So that's one thing you can do. I've also, uh, I also regularly do infrared sauna. And when you go on a sauna, you can drop your blood sugar by as much as 15 points pretty instantly when you get in an infrared sauna, do about a 20 minute session. And again, with that lowering of the blood sugar, you see an increase in your blood ketones. This is again, all stuff apart from the diet. I also have a, a juve light, which is red light therapy. Same thing. You get that red light. You see a lowering of not just blood sugar. I think we like to focus on blood sugar because it's easy to test, but you also lower inflammation levels. And without inflammation in the body, your body stays pretty calm and chill and operates the way it's supposed to. Where things start to go wrong, where you develop chronic disease, is you have uh, higher levels of inflammation in the body. So you can test that at your doctor's office with this test called an HSCRP, high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. There's homocysteine, there's IGF-1, but HSCRP is pretty, uh, pretty well established within most circles of being a standard for inflammation. And you're going to see that level drop uh, as well, which would also boost your ketones. So as you can see, these are things that people can do. Now, specifically to diet, I know people that very readily cycle in and out carbs. And so they, they, they'll have like three or four days of really strict keto, 20 grams or less, 50 grams or less, whatever your keto is. And then they'll go to a high carb day of say 125 grams. Now it's not snicker bars, chips, and Coca-Cola. It's sweet potatoes, it's starchy tubers, um, it's fruit, and that kind of thing. And then they go back into keto again. And so that metabolic kind of swing allows some people to get better results than if they stayed in ketosis all the time. Some people need to stay in ketosis all the time, and that's fine if you're getting benefit from that. What we're referring to here is when things aren't working, what else can you do? And then if you're not in ketosis, don't think that's the end of the world. I have people write me all the time, Yogi. Oh my gosh, I'm only blowing up a 0.2 on the ketones. I'm like, do you feel good? Yeah. Are you hungry? No. Are you energetic? Yeah. Why again are you worried? Just a little number on a, on a meter didn't happen to say, you've been a good boy today? No. Like I tell people, especially longtime ketoers, I'm like, okay. Why are you upset about a number when your goal is, sh it should be that you have a zero when you test your ketones. You want to make as much ketone body as your body needs that you can use completely up. You're not trying to have an excess of 3.4 on a blood meter. You don't want all those extra ketones in your body. You want exactly the amount that your body needs. And over time, your body gets really efficient at it. This is why people early on when they start eating ketogenic and they test, oh, 4.7. Oh, wow, I'm doing so good. And then three months later, they, 
only 1.3. Oh my God, what am I doing wrong? I'm like, are you like neurotic? Like, stop it, stop it. Because well, you can overanalyze this to the point that you try to fool yourself into thinking you've done bad when you're doing anything but. Yeah, and you also have the factor too of how efficiently your body is actually uptaking the ketones, which right. can affect the levels. Because if your body is efficiently using you have enough of uh, the MCTs, not the oil, but the coaxillate transporters that are in your system, they're going to be uptaking those ketone bodies into cells and cycling through the Krebs cycle faster. And so you may not read on your testing strips or anything else that you have a lot of ketones because you're using them. Look at Yogi dropping all the scientific bomb knowledge there, man. I didn't know you had that in you. That's cool. Well, I'm hoping to, uh, as things settle down here and we get things going, I'm, I'm looking at doing the uh, Nutritional Therapy Association. Nice. I just have to get some things going and also possibly the Primal Health Coach. So I've been reading yes. and before I did this, I read and studied like crazy because honestly, I, for weight loss, I, I thought this was load of bull. I, I, I'm be honest with you. I did not believe because it went against, I was very dogmatic in what I was supposed to be eating. I was, I was vegetarian and vegan at one point because I believed you had to have all these vegetables in you. And, uh, so before the, the thing that turned me on to this much like Carrie was the mental health aspect. And I started looking at the work that Dr. Dominic D'Agostino was doing with, uh, PTSD and, um, traumatic brain injury and I was experiencing symptoms of of the CTE I had a lot of concussions through my life through both from sports and work and I my mentor when I was playing football when I was in high school was Junior Seau and he had taken his own life and there's a lot of theory about that of that it was the CTE that he was experiencing and then also in the pro wrestling world we had Chris Benoit we had uh, a number of people that they initially blamed on steroids or they blamed on other things but as they looked more into it they found that most of these people had the symptoms and and of CTE and when they actually did uh uh, the only way you can really diagnose CTE is by by cutting open the brain and looking into it. So the only way you can be diagnosed is after you're deceased. But I started experiencing this and I was on the truck. And so I was having the uncontrollable depression and rage. And I also had a bit of PTSD because most of my life I worked nonprofits in uh, some very severe situations. I worked with a lot of sex trafficking and um a lot of child abuse type situations and I I had to leave because I was losing my mind but I did that for for over two decades and I started when I was 19 and we were in the Philippines shutting down child brothels um, so I had a little bit of a I, I, I want to say maybe PTSD type syndrome symptoms because not necessarily of what happened to me, but because of taking in all these things that happened to these children that I witnessed many a time and just was making me overly angry. Uh, for me, doing the high fat routine, uh, especially at the beginning and getting in things like the MCT oil, especially the C8, the C8 MCT oil, it really helped me calm down. 
and it helped my energy levels. It helped my mood. And so much like Carrie, I was doing it for mental health. And then I started losing weight. And I was just like, wow, that's a nice side effect. <laughs> and, and with keto, like I tell people, okay, you want to start it for weight loss. Let me give you a better benefit. Like I could never lose another pound the rest of my life. And if I had a sharp brain for the rest of my life, I would take that switch every day of the week. Give me a thin body and a stupid person. You're useless to me. Give me somebody that's a little chubby. Okay, great. And they've got a sharp mind and they're 90, 100, however long they live. Yeah, give me the second one because I have found that, yes, I also had some calming of mood. Uh, some of that's age uh, and some of that is, you know, coming to terms with things like childhood trauma and things like that that have happened for me. So some of that's calmed that down. But I, I give keto full credit for kind of setting my brain straight. Uh, I feel like it, it works better now, almost to the point that I wish I could go back and get another college degree now because... <laughs> I feel like my brain is just like ready to take in knowledge. And of course, I've been at this for a very long time. And I feel like I've had a front row seat to the nutritional health space over the past 15 years, literally interviewing every expert you know uh, out there. And so that is an underappreciated benefit, definitely, of keto. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And kind of segueing into the brain health aspect, I, I, you wrote another book that I read and it is going to key into one of the things that people freak out about, about going on keto. Cause there's a lot of people that are not in the keto world that think it's the all bacon diet. Right. And they don't understand that they, they can be, but there's so many different approaches, but because uh, most of the people on keto follow such a meat heavy approach, People outside of keto who are still following into that dogma freak out about cholesterol, LDL specifically, but cholesterol numbers, exactly. So I want you to touch on the fact of why you shouldn't be stressing on, on cholesterol. So cholesterol is one of the funniest things uh, and most tragic things that has ever happened to the medical health space. They found a number that they could look at. And then they found a drug that could drop that number that they look at. And then they've made the case that dropping that arbitrary number down into an arbitrary space makes you arbitrarily healthy for heart disease. So it's very interesting how they got that into the zeitgeist of people caring about it. Because you ask most people, what's your cholesterol level? Bam, they know their cholesterol. What's your fasting insulin? Uh, 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 uh. They have no idea. And so cholesterol and total cholesterol specifically is extremely problematic. And the way I describe it to people is, all right, let's say your total cholesterol is 243. What does that mean? There's no context behind it. It's like knowing the end of a baseball game is cumulatively 30. Do, do you know anything about the game? Do, do you know who won? Do you know any of the outcome, how it happened? No. You don't know if it was a 29 to 1 blowout or if it was a, a, a 16 to 14 barn burner that went the extra. In. You don't know anything about it. And it's the same with total cholesterol. 
When you look at one singular number, it's not helpful. And this is a reminder with anything in your health. Don't just look at one number and treat anything based on one number. I don't care what the number is. One number does not tell you the totality of your health. If you're going to look at cholesterol, you need to look at the totality of it. So what's the LDL uh, cholesterol? We'll come back to that one in a second. What's the HDL cholesterol? That's supposedly the good one. Triglycerides, what is that? This is all a part of the standard lipid panel. And then your VLDL. So let's look at those. Uh, VLDL is just a surrogate marker for your triglycerides. So then let's go to triglycerides. This is the truly bad fat in the diet. How LDL got the notion of being the bad fat the bad cholesterol? I don't know, because it's triglycerides that is that major one you need to be concerned about. And yet, how many doctors ask you, how about your triglycerides? They don't. Like, I don't know why, because that's the one number that we know tracks very well with carbohydrate intake. The higher the intake of your carbohydrates, the more triglycerides you're going to have. The lower intake uh, of carbohydrates, you're going to see that triglycerides drop below 100. Most people are well over 150, and they say the range is zero to 150. But once you get above 100, you're already getting into metabolic disturbance. And that's a, another whole other topic we can talk about is these reference ranges being messed up. Um, and then LDL, this is the one that just pisses me off to no end because LDL, people think, is a directly measured marker. It's not. It's the only marker on your whole lipid panel, your whole cholesterol panel, that is not directly measured. They directly measure your HDL. They directly measure your triglycerides and the VLDL. They do not directly measure LDL. What do they do? They take all those other numbers and they put it into this little eat math equation called the Friedwald equation, and then it spits out the LDLC. Well, there's only one problem with that. What happens when it miscalculates the LDL. And that's exactly what happens when you have low triglycerides under 100, when you have higher HDL over 50, which is typical of someone who eats a lower carb, ketogenic, paleo kind of diet, carnivore diet, um, your LDL gets miscalculated by as much as 100 points. So then that extra amount of LDL gets added to your total cholesterol. Then you have high HDL, which is a good thing, but then it gets added to the high total. So can you see why total cholesterol doesn't really give you the whole picture? And so they have new technologies out now that can actually let you see more of a picture of how your health is doing. Number one, triglyceride to HDL ratio. So you divide the triglycerides by the HDL. You definitely want that number to be under three, ideally under one is the ratio. So if you have a 70, H, uh, 70 HDL and a 70 triglycerides, that's exactly a one-to-one -one ratio. Perfect. That's wonderful. A lot of people that eat keto, they have like a, a 90 HDL and say a 45 triglyceride. That's a 0.5 ratio. Incredible. And you ladies out there, uh, we hate you in the male population because ladies tend to have naturally higher HDL cholesterol. So you just got to cut your carbs and get your carbs low to get your triglycerides to go down and you're going to be right in that range. So that's one of the newer ways of looking at things rather than LDL and total cholesterol. Uh, you also have an NMR lipoprofile test, which gives you the particle breakdown of the LDL. People think LDL is one thing. Actually, LDL is a multiplicity of sizes, but you've got primarily large fluffy kind, 
and small dense kind. The large fluffy is called pattern A. The small dense is called pattern B. Um, and typically pattern A comes when you cut your carbs, eat more fat. Um, and pattern B comes with lower total cholesterol. They're more atherogenic particles that can penetrate the arterial wall and give you a heart attack. People think, oh, I eat low fat, I get my total cholesterol down below 200. I'm gold, I won't get a heart attack. And those are the people getting heart attacks all the time. Uh, you're, you're old enough to remember uh, Tim Russert from Meet the Press. Uh, he was the uh, famous morning anchor on Sunday mornings. He died of his very first heart attack. He was 54 years old, died of his first heart attack. He was on a statin medication and his total cholesterol was 105. Now, according to health standards, he should have never had a heart attack with 105. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. What happened? It wasn't about the cholesterol. It was about the inflammation, which is why, again, another marker is looking at that HSCRP and knowing what that is and keeping that below three, but optimally below one. I, I recently had mine run. It's 1.1, so it's right on that teetering of the optimal. Um, and these are things that you're not hearing from your doctor, uh, partially because they have specific guidelines. This was a shocker when I started researching uh, cholesterol clarity in, in the years since writing that book. I've learned that there are these very specific cholesterol guidelines that these doctors have to follow. And if they don't follow them, they get deemed and could have their medical license pulled. So when you go to see your doctor, you think, oh, wow, they're giving me all the latest and they won't do anything that runs counter to science. It has nothing to do with science. It has everything to do with those guidelines. And the guidelines say that if your total cholesterol goes over 200 or your total uh, LDL cholesterol, the LDLC, that calculated number, goes over 100, you have to prescribe a statin medication. And, and, it's, and it's ridiculous. In fact, I was just watching the golf yesterday and I saw a new commercial. They have now taken this whole statin medication thing to another level. Not only do you need a statin, now you need to have this newfound drug. Statins may not be enough now. So they're pushing all these new drugs on top of a statin. Take your statin and now have this one to enhance it. And it's like, it's so maddening because they're not getting to the root of what the problem is. And the root is inflammation. The inflammation is coming from carbohydrates and seed oils. You know, and I was reading too that um, people with lower cholesterol, including LDL cholesterol, often have a greater chance of having a heart attack and death from heart attack, also greater chance of dementia and Alzheimer's. And one of the things that I always try to get people that I talk to to understand is what LDL is and what it's for. And if you're seeing elevated uh, LDL particles in your system, there may be an underlying cause because LDL is essential for one of the things that it does in your body is it's essential for your immune system. So if your immune system is is firing out of whack and it's maybe you got an autoimmune system uh, symptom that's happening that you're unaware of your LDL is going to go higher with inflammation and things like that. So it's, you're seeing a result, but there's a cause somewhere you're not addressing. Yeah. And, and this is something we become so desiring of simplicity. And sometimes medicine is not simple. Health is not simple. I do my best in my work to simplify, but sometimes I simplify to draw people in. So then once you learn, then you want to go back out and learn the more complexity. So I 
when people read my books, they're like, wow, they're so simple. It made me want to go learn more. I'm like, thank you. That, that was the point. It, it's so funny on Amazon. I have, this is the worst possible book. It's so simple. This is so stupid. It could have gone so much deeper. And then I have another one that says, this is the hardest book I've ever read. It's so complex. I'm like, you can't have both of those at the same time. I struck a pretty good balance. Yeah. Well, you know, I forgot who said it, but if, you know, if you're not doing something right, you're not going to have any haters. Exactly. You know, so one of the other things that people freak out about, but in the keto world, we know is absolutely necessary is salt. People just go nuts over their sodium levels. I love Redmond's. People go nuts over their sodium levels and people go they also do not look at the other electrolytes and minerals that are supposed to be in your body. And they, we still have this notion that sodium is absolutely bad for you. Um, it, that's predominant outside of the keto world. So let's talk uh, real quick about salt and how that works in your body as well as the electrolytes and where the benefit is and where the myths are. If I had to pick one substance that is probably as vilified as saturated fat, it's most certainly salt. And what's funny about the salt thing is they always say, cut your salt because it can raise your blood pressure and raise blood pressure leads to heart disease. And blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Um, why then is only 5% of the population salt sensitive? and 95% of the population really doesn't have to worry about salt at all because you'll just excrete out any extra that your body doesn't need. So it's kind of an interesting argument that they try to put what's happening. It's kind of like what they're doing with coronavirus. We have a very small percentage of the population getting really bad symptoms, even though the vast majority of the people are, are doing just fine. And yet we shut everything down. That's kind of what they do with it. Oh, we've got to shut down your ability to eat salt because 5% of the population may have issues with it. And so that's part of the challenge is people don't realize it's just a very small percentage. And so for me to explain it to someone going keto, I tell them, look, when you start keto, you're going to dump your glycogen stores. In the glycogen stores, you have a lot of water along with the glycogen, the sugar in there, but you also have salt, magnesium, potassium, and all their electrolytes. So you need to replenish those. So people are like, oh, I get cramps, I get the flu, I get you know the, the keto flu, I get all these symptoms. And what you have is electrolyte imbalance. And so if you start to feel bad, I say most of the time when people feel bad, even when they feel hungry, like we were talking about earlier, when you feel hunger and cravings, your body's actually craving nutrients. And grab you like a little pinch of salt, stick it underneath your tongue and watch that craving go away. Like it's amazing how we've gotten away from just basic things that 100 years ago they were like, yeah, of course you, you lick on a little salt lick. It's no big deal. Like they did it axiomatically. And yet today we think it's some grand danger to your health. Yeah. And I, as somebody that suffered muscle cramps most of my life, uh, the electrolyte awakening I've had in my life has been just amazing, including getting more sodium in. So I want to transition now to another segment so we can start closing things out because we've been talking for quite a while and I'm sure you got some Jimmy rants to do. And uh, But we have a couple Patreon groups. We have uh, 
patreon.com slash Carrie Brown for our kitchen group that's all about food. And we have also started a Fatty Joe Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Fatty Joe Show. And one of the things that our Patreon rock stars get to do is they get to know who our guest is going to be early, and they get to ask some questions. So I've pulled some questions from our, our rock stars, and I'm pulling them up right now. Bring it. <laughs> so... I actually have three from Dana O'Brien, and first of all, she would like to hear how you were doing, and she says she knows you took a podcast break, and it might be over, which we we know it is. Um, so she wants to just know how you're doing. Yeah, I uh, I went on a six month sabbatical, not just from my podcast, but from everything. Uh, that was September 1st through February 29th. Uh, deliberately took off six months. I'd been at this for 15 years in a row at that point. And I was like, homeboy needs a break. <laughs> and, and what was funny was for the longest time, I almost felt like a lonely voice out here talking about low carb and trying to be a proselytizer that, hey, this is a modality in health that might be helpful for people. So I went, 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 go, 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 hard work, hard work, hard work. And it got to the point where I was a bit broken before that, uh, that I needed to take off. And But my mentality was, I have to keep going. But then I stopped and thought about it. Oh, my gosh. Look at the keto space. Look at all these people talking about it. I'm not as needed as I used to be or as I thought I was. So I'm like, okay, I'll go away. It was still very scary. Um, and in the midst of that six months off, some major changes happened in my life. Two weeks after I uh, went away, my sister calls me and my stepdad uh, had died. And this was a guy that I didn't really have any love for. Um, the narrative in my head, he sent me away when I was 14 uh, to go live with my dad and he didn't like me and da da da. And it turns out that my mom was the one that had me sent away. I found out as we were having deep conversations and she was worried that the stepdad, that uh, the, the guy she just married, was going to kill me because I was very strong-willed. And Wow, you married a guy that you thought was going to kill your son. Interesting. Um, but then I dropped a bomb back on her and told her about some of the abuse, physical and emotional abuse that I got from my dad when she sent me away. And she didn't know about it. So anyway, major kind of thing. It took me three, four months to work through some of that stuff. Um, I also separated from my wife, Christine, in that time, um, just stuff happened in that relationship as well. So it was pretty darn profound. Um, and that's probably what this uh, person's asking about. How are you doing? Uh, because lots of things happen in the midst of that. And then I come back and 10 days later, coronavirus hits. And so it's been a bit of a time for me, um, to adjust to the newness of everything and, uh, I was already talking about the childhood trauma, uh, but then I shifted to talking uh, somewhat about building your immune system, along with all the regular stuff that I do. And then the race relations stuff came out, and I started speaking very vocally about that. So yes, across the board, uh, it's a bit overwhelming, if I'm being honest right now, um, in the day-to-day. -day. I have good moments, bad moments uh, with all the things I'm dealing with. This was already going to be a tough year because of the separation, but now it's just been exacerbated. Yeah, it's it's pretty tough. It, ironically, um, 
the day after I got off the truck, the apocalypse happened, happened. And, and, and you know, but it's kind of funny because I didn't carry and I haven't really experienced much because we're kind of isolated in the forest anyway. And the only thing that it like hit us is we couldn't really go out, but we're like, cool. And so we just started working on our, our, our stuff. Uh, we put out 60 some odd videos for cooking and other things. We really, until recently, we haven't really felt much of it because we're just like kept plugging away at what we're doing. Right. I've been right here. Grant. So same thing. Yeah. And this is also from Dana. And she said, um, maybe with him being in the space for a while, his thoughts on where we've come a long way versus areas that we haven't moved along as far as he would have expected. Yeah. Where we've gone a long way is people now generally accept that cutting your carbs is a good idea. Used to, the mantra was, oh, we all know you cut your fat. So that was kind of the axiomatic, oh yeah, you cut your fat, you cut your fat, you cut your fat. I'm talking about in the mainstream of ideas. How the low-carb, keto, carnivore space has penetrated the culture is, it's generally recognized that eating so many carbohydrates is probably not a good idea. We still have trouble with the whole added sugars versus natural sugars, uh, the sugars and carbohydrates in, say, grains being inferior and inflammatory versus real whole food bases of carbs like sweet potatoes. We still have those kind of things to work through. But I think in general, people recognize we're eating too much sugar in our diet and we probably need to cut down on our carbs in our diet. And the reason I see that it penetrates our culture is when you watch like TV shows or movies, they'll make a reference to that. Oh, I'm eating too many carbs or I need to cut down on my car or I'm on keto. And I was like, okay, when you know you hit the entertainment script, uh, then you know you, it's penetrated into the culture enough. Uh, as far as things we need to get uh, more focus on, I don't think we put enough focus on real food still. Like it's many people that are out here talking keto. I don't think enough people are talking about eating real whole foods. I mean, the carnivore, they kind of default into it because outside of meat is that that's where all the snack stuff that would get you in trouble so meat is pretty much real whole foods um but within like keto oh here's my latest banana pudding recipe for keto oh here's my latest keto cookie oh here's my late and i'm like okay those are all well and good but are we encouraging people to get out of the mindset of processed foods or are we getting them in the mindset of embracing real whole foods it's not to say you can't have one of those things every once in a while but if we're going to get the focus on something, I think real food is that rallying point, And I've not seen it universally accepted. Yeah, the dessert thing is definitely keto desserts is still skyrocketing all over the place. And, and we, you know, Carrie is, uh, especially has a number of keto dessert recipes. You know, she's the ice cream lady. And it's definitely a much better for you option. She does use whole real foods in all of her ingredients. There's egg, there's you know, right. nuts, there's there's that. So it's a much better option than a lot of the processed um, commercial available keto snacks, which some of them aren't even keto. Right. Really. Yeah, this is a keto coffee creamer. We sweeten it with coconut sugar. It's made from coconut, so it must be healthy. Right. So yeah, it's 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 a definitely a tough one out there just to break that sweet tooth, and it's that sweet that sweet endorphin addiction that you know you're still battling, like we talked about earlier. This is also Diane, and she asked, "What is your biggest goal for the LCHF world? The top thing you'd like to see change or be added?" Um, I'd like for it to become irrelevant. 
because it's embraced as the healthy way to eat. And along that, the healthy way to eat, it becomes this template where if you want a little higher protein, here you go. Here's a little plan. You want a little higher fat? Okay, here you go. If you want kind of a middle of the road, okay, here you go. I, I, I think we have become so married to low carb uh, and keto and all these labels. I would like to have a world where we don't have to have those labels anymore and we just eat and this becomes just natural like it is to breathe, like it is to brush your teeth when you wake up in the morning. You know, I, that's a dream world, of course. Uh, but I think the more that we talk about eating the way we were supposed to eat, I love how Dr. Ken Berry puts it, you know, eating the natural diet. This is the natural human diet. This is the way we've eaten. And so why did we mess it up? The bad diet was all the processed junk food. Now we need to go back to the natural food diet uh, and the natural healthy diet. Um, that's where I hope we go with this uh, and where I'd like to see everything shift to that we become irrelevant talking about low carb, high fat, talking about keto, talking about all these labels, and it just becomes that generally accepted way to eat. That's definitely true. And you know, and as we talked about, the the tribal dogmatic approach is something that we fall into on many aspects of our life. And, you know, not just keto, but I mean, that's how racism comes into place, that tribal dogmatic. That's yeah. how um, our perceptions of of the world and reality and religion and politics and everything comes into play. And we become very focused on not actually what's really happening, but what we want to be happening, what we perceive to be happening. And we disassociate from the actual facts of the matter. And that's that's something that seems to be very challenging. Um, if okay with you, I'd like to do a little rapid fire um, question and answer. And it's these are just real simple, you know, short answer version questions. And I usually give the guests about five of them before we close out. And the first question I like to to ask is, who are your five health heroes? Oh man, only five, huh? Gary uh, Taubes, Nina Teicholz. Uh, Professor Tim Noakes, Eric Westman, and Steve Finney. Nice. All right. What is, there you go. Uh, what is the biggest health nutrition myth that you want to bust? Well, I mean, if you're talking about in general, I still think the saturated fat one needs busting until it's completely busted. Um because in the mainstream, you still ask people if butter's healthy. Oh, it's too much saturated fat. And I'm going, we still on that? Uh, within the keto space, uh, I think what we talked about earlier, that's not keto. Let's stop referring to foods as keto and instead look at the metabolic state of keto because keto will always be a metabolic state, which will make it different from person to person. Yeah, there's many roads up that mountain too. Yeah. The next question is, what are the top three foods that you think everybody should be avoiding? Should be what? The top three foods that you think everybody should be avoiding. Oh, avoiding. I thought you said embracing. That's why I was like, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Because if I say steak yeah. and butter, you're going to scream at me. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, sugar, grains, and starchy carbohydrates that aren't being productive for you. Um, yeah, I mean, that's not specific foods. Twinkies, Coca-Cola, and Dingo. I mean, what? I mean, I could go down the list of all the junk foods to avoid. 
No, the category the categories are fine. Like Danny answered seed oils, sugar, and I I forgot what the other one he answered. You know, so it's and yeah, I it's think, totally. Yeah, I think the main thing is the refined sugars, the refined grains, and the refined oils. That's really kind of distinctly putting the three worst culprits in the American diet. And we just got a Carrie Brown cameo back behind us. Hi, Carrie. Jimmy says hi. Hello. So um, now you're still continuing on on your healthy journey as we are. We're still works in progress. So what is the next big health goal for Jimmy Moore? I think for me is just continuing to keep an eye on markers of genetic health because I have a strong family history of heart disease. My brother Kevin died of it at 41. My dad had a heart attack at 48, 50, and then quintuple heart bypass at 54. I'm 48, not right now. Uh, I had a couple of grandfathers that died uh, of heart disease. I had uh, an aunt that just had a heart attack last year. So it's heavy, heavy, heavy in the more family history. Now, I'm very much uh, a believer in epigenetics being a strong, a stronger thing than the genetic predisposition, but I still... Uh, keep an eye on it. So I'm keeping an eye on things like a CT heart scan from a heart calcium score. It's called a CAC if you ever go get one done. A uh, very easy procedure uh, that's painless. Um, I also keep an eye on my blood markers of things like the triglycerides, the inflammation levels, fasting insulin, just trying to watch all of those things. Because as I get older, I know the older I get, the harder it is to bring those things back around. I'm still at the age where if things start to go awry, I can write the ship. Still working on that. We'll constantly work on that uh, and be a student of this year body for the rest of my life. We all need goals in our lives to continue and uh, to, to, to have something to work for, to give purpose. And I want to know what is your biggest non-nutritive, non-health related goal what is something that you want to accomplish either this year or coming up something that you're working toward dude i am always working towards kind of new things my brain's always thinking of new ideas i don't really think i, I know this is going to tick off a lot of people that say oh plan your dreams where are you going to be in a year and five years and team yeah i don't I don't do that. Like I, I almost like ruminate on things simultaneously so much that I don't have these grand goals. I just go. Um, and it could just be a product of I've done this so long. I kind of know where I'm going. And I know they say, write the goals so you'll get there. I'm self-motivated. I don't need some goal to tell me that I'm headed in the direction I want to go. Uh, for me, it's continuing to do the education that I've been doing for 15 plus years is continuing to write books is continuing to be an influence on people's lives i will tell you i'm getting more and more jaded by the nutritional health space and more and more interested in just being a general commentator on life and i'm and i'm getting really jazzed about that i've lost a few followers from doing that and that's fine it is what it is but for me keto low carb will always kind of be a part of who i am but it's not the only part of who i am uh, when I started talking about childhood trauma and started talking about the COVID stuff and race relations and some of these other things, people are like, stay in your lane. I'm like, my lane is what I care about. And if I care about those things, I'm going to do those kinds of things, even if it ruffles your feathers because you think I should only talk to you. 
It's amazing how you can get pigeonholed into one thing. This is why for this podcast, we decided to do whole health and not just nutrition and also explore other avenues of health um, related fields such as psychological, emotional, therapeutic levels. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm even getting the guy on that that got me into pro wrestling and we're going to be talking about some stuff. Nice. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 going to be pretty cool. We have, it'll be reconnecting after so many years. We want to know where to find Jimmy Moore, all the contact tidbits and all that. So let's let's get those out there. Yeah, it's real easy to find me. Uh, you can literally Google my name, and up comes most of my work and my books and everything. But llvlc.com stands for livinglavidalowcarb.com uh, is the main hub for my podcast. I do two main podcasts now: Living La Vida Low Carb Show, longest running health podcast on the internet. Uh, I do a Thursday show called Real Talk, uh, which again kind of gets off the beaten path of having to always talk about nutrition. We do all kinds of topics on that show. And then I'm in Jimmy Rant Studio. This is where I do a daily show Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern uh, at JimmyRants.com. Uh, and we do all kinds of topics. I usually go over, say, studies and news of interest in the nutritional health space. And as you said earlier, really any topic that's on my mind that I'm interested in. So that's how you find me. Awesome. So I want to recommend to everybody out there who may be going to start their uh, nutrition journey for better health. Definitely pick up the books by Jimmy Moore because they are a great jumping point to get you started in understanding the nutrition and the keto world as well as cholesterol and also breaking some of those dogmatic myths has, has become like a theme of this show, uh, this episode. So definitely pick up Jimmy's books. Can you give us a list of all the books you got out there so far real quick? I'll tell you. Uh, so Cholesterol Clarity was the first major one that I wrote in 2013. Then came Keto Clarity in 2014. Probably the one I'm most famous for is Keto Clarity. After that was the uh, Ketogenic Cookbook in 2015. And then after that was the Fasting Book. Complete Guide to Fasting with Dr. Fong, 2016. After that, I'm trying to do them in the order. That, <laughs> after that was the Keto Cure with Dr. Adam Nally, then Real Food Keto. That's my favorite. Yeah, this was my favorite one to write, especially as a prospective uh, NTP student. I'm sure you did like that one because mm -hmm. it has pretty much a mini course in the NTA. Uh, and then last year came Keto Clarity cookbook um and i'm not writing in 2020 because homeboy needed a break that was seven years in a row i wrote books <laughs> and that's not an easy process that's for no. sure no it's not but i have a lot more books in me i'm probably writing about 10 in my head right now all 10 won't come out but i'm always thinking of ideas it's just the way my brain works that's awesome so we're going to go ahead and close out the show we want to make sure that we keep in contact with Jimmy Moore. Definitely listen to his podcast, the Jimmy Raz, the Living La Vida Low Carb. And uh, he's got a, a – Jimmy put the bricks on the wall of the, of the podcast world. He's got a number of podcasts out there. Some of them are no longer on air, but they are definitely worth uh, – uh, are no longer being recorded, but they're still on the platform, and they're definitely worth a listen for some of the great interviews he's done over the years. All right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and sign off the Fatty Joe Show. Have a great time.
Thank you for joining us on the Fatty Joe Show. Be sure to leave a comment and subscribe. It helps the show reach more people. To support the show, as well as Carrie Brown and Yogi's work on the blog, Keto Recipe Development, Masterclasses, and to gain access to private Facebook groups and other awards, go to patreon.com slash Show or patreon.com slash Brown. Also, check out our Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker YouTube channel for video versions of the Fatty Joe Show, recipe videos, and more. Join our awesome community on the Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker. And check out our CarrieBrown.com website for recipes, blog posts, discounts, cookbooks, masterclasses, and other great stuff. Thank you so much.